Good morning. Well, that ought to put a smile on your face. Sit and sing about God is love. That ought to make you feel pretty good this morning. Hey, we're glad that you are here. I don't know what to do with that. If you are a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us today. Glad that you chose to worship with us today at Bay Area. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about buzzwords. You know, we're all familiar with buzzwords, right? Words or phrases that sort of find their way into our uh, uh, daily language. We kind of get, hear people using them. Some buzzwords have a pretty short shelf life, which is a buzzword. Others seem to stick around for a little bit longer. Businesses used to talk about downsizing. Now businesses talk about right-sizing. A manager might tell his employees, we need to close the loop and horizontally push the envelope. Let's skate to where the puck's going to be. And they're supposed to know exactly what he's talking about, right? I mean, we use buzzwords all the time. You've heard people talk about a bucket list. Things that they want to do before they kick the bucket. And I'll go ahead and issue a spoiler alert. We want our bucket list to be epic, right? We use buzzwords all the time. We use buzzwords in church, too, by the way. When I was a kid, I used to kind of chuckle when I would hear someone ask that the preacher would have a ready recollection of the things that he has studied. Guess what? I don't chuckle about that anymore. In fact, when I hear someone say it, I'm like, yes, thank you. This morning, I've already prayed that I would have a ready recollection. We use buzzwords. When I hear someone say, separate and apart, I know it's time to lay by in store. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. You know me, I use those kind of words all the time. I use buzzwords and phrases all the time. I think it's human nature. But this morning, I want to talk to you about a spiritual buzzword that, that you hear a lot, especially now in churches and, and church settings. If you pay attention to, to Christian blogs or Christian radio, Christian articles, uh, there's a term that you hear over and over again, and the term is community. I've got probably 20 books in my library dealing with the idea of Christian community, the definition of community the importance of community, the sustainability of community. It's as if that term and that concept was sort of originated right here, right now. I assure you, it is not. It's been around for a long time. We are beginning this morning a sermon series that I'm just calling Doing Life Together. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of Christian community, what it means to be part of a Christian community what it means to be part of a Christian family, and what I can expect from this Christian community, what this Christian community can expect from me, what the people living around us in our neighborhood can expect from the Christian community that calls itself the Bay Area Church of Christ. And my anchor text for this series is a really familiar one, one of my favorite passages found in Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility 
Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I think what Paul is saying there is Christianity isn't really about how we do Sundays. We put a lot of time and effort into how we do Sundays, rightfully so, but Christianity is not exactly about how we do Sundays. It's not even about how we do some days. It's about how we do every day. It's about how we do our lives. And we're told in Scripture over and over again that we're, we're supposed to do our lives together. This idea of community, the spiritual buzzword, it was Jesus' idea. He established it. He created it. He expected His followers to live in community. And when you read the New Testament, for the most part, they did. They did a pretty good job of it. They ate together. They prayed together. They studied together. They learned together. And yeah, they would argue together and maybe compete a little bit together. But but they would fail together. They would succeed together. They certainly grew together. When you read the New Testament, you'll read that phrase, one another, over 90 times, with 35 different verbs attached to that phrase. Things that we are to do for and with each other. Things like, we're to encourage one another, to serve one another, accept one another, instruct one another, speak to one another, submit to one another, comfort one another. There's a lot of things that we are commanded to do in one anothering, which of course takes one and another, right? But I want to begin this series with what I think is the foundational building block to community. This is Jesus 101. When we're talking about our responsibilities that we have to one another, we are commanded in Scripture to love one another. And I'll tell you why I think this is Jesus 101. I'll tell you why I think this is really at the heart of everything that we do. You're familiar with the events in the upper room. The night that Jesus is betrayed, he meets with the apostles one last time uh, before he is betrayed and heads to the cross. And he washes the apostles' feet that night. And then he says something to those men that is absolutely critical to the community that he's establishing. And what Jesus says to those men is so important that I'm convinced if we don't get it right, we're going to miss everything else he came to accomplish. What he says to those men in this this setting is so important. If we miss it, we're going to miss everything else. Everything we hold dear hinges on really about the two sentences that Jesus shares with these men. It's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. When you read that, it's obvious that that discipleship involves community. And community involves loving each other. But what exactly does that mean? And what exactly does that look like? If we're to love each other, how does that play out in, in our lives? Let me spend a little bit of time in these two sentences and and try to see what Jesus is stressing and to prove to you that what he's saying is just as relevant to us as it was then. I'm going to use some buzzwords from 2018 as we take a look at these these two sentences and help us to remember and, and understand 
what it is Jesus is teaching us about loving each other. And the first buzzword is this, mission critical. You'll hear that phrase in business or, or politics. When, when the components of a plan are so important that if this part of the plan falls apart, the whole thing falls apart. You know, people say that's, that's mission critical. We've got to get this right or none of it will turn out right. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. This idea of loving each other. Jesus says it's mission critical. A new command I give you. Notice Jesus doesn't say, a new suggestion I have for you. A new idea I would like to bounce off you. A new option that you might want to consider. No, Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now think about this. A lot of people don't realize this. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus doesn't really issue a whole lot of commands. Now, he does a great deal of teaching, but there's not a whole lot of thou shalt and thou shalt nots from Jesus. But make no mistake, this is one of them. This is a command. A new command I have. That you should love, thou shalt love one another. If we're going to be obedient to the commands of Jesus, we're going to have to love each other. John was in that upper room. He would later write this in 2 John verse 6. This is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. And you've heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. Loving each other is mission critical. It is doing what Jesus has commanded us to do. You know, when we look at Scripture, we kind of like when, when things are really obvious, when things are black and white, when there's no discrepancy. You know, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. This couldn't be more clear. Jesus says, do this. This is a command. Love one another. You want to know just how important this is? Take a look at Romans chapter 13. Pay all your debts. Accept the debt of love for others. You can never finish paying that. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments against adultery and murder and stealing and coveting and any other commandment are all summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to anyone, so love satisfies all of God's requirements. Paul is saying in that passage, you want to know the remedy for adultery? and murder, and stealing, and coveting, and really every other sin you might want to add, it's love. It's loving other people the way we love ourselves. Listen, it is always, people say don't talk in absolutes, this is an absolute, it is always, always right to love other people. Always. And it is always, always wrong not to love. Always. So as we think about living not just day by day, but moment by moment, what am I about to say? How am I going to respond? What am I going to do right now in this moment? I think if we could just remind ourselves, it is always right to love it is always wrong not to or always wrong not to love. I think if we could remind ourselves of that absolute, I think we'd be more like Jesus. It's a command. And it is mission critical. 
But then Jesus raises the bar on this command. Here's your next buzzword. Jesus goes next gen on the commandment. This commandment to love. It's the next generation of love that Jesus is talking about. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know, we're all familiar with the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus says, no, that's, that's last generation loving. I'm telling you, I want you to love the way I have loved you. It's a whole nother level. Again, take a look at what John writes. 1 John chapter 4. The command that Christ has given us is this. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Loving God involves loving people. It's got to be both. You know, we've talked about this before. Most people love someone because of that person. That's the way most people in our society love. They love because that person's lovable. Or because that person loves me. Or because there's something in that person that I might find, you know, um, helpful to me on some level. So consciously, or maybe subconsciously, we go through this process of trying to determine, trying to decide who's worthy of my love. You know, am I going to show love to this person in this situation, or am I going to withhold love from this person in this situation? And i got to tell you, that is so exhausting. It is so just exhausting to have to go through that process of what should I do right here, right now? Should I love? Jesus says, just love everybody. As I have loved you, love others. How did Jesus love? Well, his love wasn't dependent on anybody else. He didn't love people because of who they were. He loved people in spite of who they were. Jesus loved everyone. Those few sentences that we're focusing on, you remember what Jesus had just finished doing before he said this? He was washing feet. He washed the apostles' feet. All of the apostles' feet. Including two dirty, smelly feet of Judas Iscariot. And it's a good thing that Jesus did that pretty on, early on in that evening because not long afterwards, Judas is going to leave and go betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knew that's where he was headed. He knew that was his next stop that evening. And Jesus still makes this statement, as I have loved you, you're to love others. That's next generation loving. And Jesus is so serious about this teaching. And he's so consistent with this teaching. Back in the book of Luke, chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Jesus is not impressed when you love people that love you. Jesus says, that doesn't impress me. Everybody does that. A while back, I read a blog written by a Christian writer, and he talks about driving by a church that had a reader board sign out front. And on the reader board was this message. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you're welcome here. And he asked himself as he, he drove by that sign, is that really how that community feels? Or is that something that they just put on the reader board because they have to change it? Every week. 
Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you're welcome here. And Jesus says, as I have loved you, you're to love others. Well, who did Jesus love? He loved tax collectors and murderers and prostitutes. He loved the physically disabled. He loved the spiritually misinformed. He loved single moms and desperate dads. Jesus loved everyone. Now, I've told you this before. One of the, one of the claims against Jesus that got him killed was actually true. This man welcomed sinners. That was true. Jesus did welcome sinners. And I wonder how many Christians, if we were really honest with ourselves, would say, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you're welcome here if. And then fill in the blank. You're welcome here if you look enough like us. Or if you act enough like us. You're welcome here if you behave yourself. That's last generation loving. That's the way the Pharisees loved. That's the way people without the Holy Spirit love. You know, one of the results of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Christians, one of the fruits that Paul talks about, in fact, the very first fruit that he lists in Galatians 5 is love. We love with the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think too many Christians never love beyond what the Holy Spirit enables them to do when it comes to love. I see Christians who really don't love any better than their non-Christian neighbors. We're not just living beneath our privilege, we're loving beneath our privilege when that's the case. If the Holy Spirit is living within you, you have the capacity to show people the love of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, you know it. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't love people because of who they are. God loves people because of who He is. He is love. He doesn't love people... Uh, we, we're not to love people because of who they are. We're to love people because of whose we are. We belong to God. And we don't get to pick and choose who we're going to love. And again, that is so liberating. And that is so freeing that I don't have to go through that exhaustive process of trying to decide how I'm going to respond to someone. Is it worth it to love them? Jesus says, absolutely. As I've loved you, you're to love others. The kind of love that Jesus is teaching, the kind of love that He's modeling, it's mission critical. It is next-gen love. And then finally, it's a game-changer. That's the next buzzword for you. It's a game-changer. When people talk about a significant impact on an event, you know, whether it's politics or business or academics, I guess it could be an actual game. People say, well, that's a game-changer. That particular, that particular uh, event, that, that, that changes the game. It's a significant thing. Jesus introduces a game-changer into this conversation. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's a game changer. It's a game changer for us. It's a game changer for all men as well. You, know, you think about it. All through history, 
People have tried to communicate to the world that they belong to Jesus. Do it by, by the way we've dressed, by the laws that have been passed. We've fought to maintain the purity of our doctrine. We've tried to show the morality of living. we put bumper stickers on our cars, all fine and good. And we've built schools, we've built hospitals, paired out programs to try to promote the agenda of Jesus. But as Jesus is about to leave the earth, and He's entrusting these men with spreading the kingdom, those aren't the things that He mentions. That's not what He brings up, is this is how people are going to know that you belong to Me. Jesus said, people are going to look at you. And they're going to watch you. They're going to go work with you. And they're going to go to school with you. They're going to be in your neighborhood. Their kids are going to play soccer with your kids. They're going to bag your groceries at Publix. And they're going to watch you. And they're going to know. They're going to know that you belong to me. That you're a follower of mine by the way you love each other. That was his statement. That's how people are going to know that you belong to Jesus. A little while later in that same evening, Jesus prays to the Father in John chapter 17. We looked at some of that prayer a couple of weeks ago. Let me revisit it in verse 20 of John 17. This is Jesus praying to the Father. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying that somehow, and I'm not going to be able to uh, explain it very well, but somehow, the way we connect to each other is going to point people to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we debate on the strategy of how best to, to reach the world for Jesus. What's the best way to reach the world for Jesus? Well, if we could just return America to our Christian roots. If we could get rid of all the, the crooked politicians and, and vote in men and women who really loved God. If we could put prayer back into school. If we could rein in the media somehow. All the immoral things that you know are exposed to uh, my family. If we could do those things or some of those things then we could bring about the mission of Jesus. And sure, I'm for all of those things. I'm all for voting godly men and women into places of honor. In fact, that's who I try to vote for. I'm all for bringing prayer back to school. I'm all for reigning in the media and kind of trying to bring back some, some sanity to all the immorality that you just turn on the TV or, or turn on your phone and see. I'm all for those things. But here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that our best leverage is a Christian, and really maybe our only leverage is a Christian, is the way we love. To really point people towards Jesus, I think our best leverage is the way we love. Because Jesus said the world is going to see and the world is going to notice the unmistakable uniqueness of your love, it's going to make a difference. It's going to be a game changer. Yeah, we are to know truth, absolutely. We are to speak truth, you bet. But we're to speak it in love. 
You know, I, I know that a lot of times as Christians, we get judged by the world. And sometimes that's really frustrating. Because sometimes it's really unfair. You know, the world judges us. And so many times the world judges us and they really don't know what they're talking about because they don't know God. And they don't know God's Word and they don't know God's truth or the, the motive behind the message. They don't know our desire to live a holy life. They don't understand the blessings that come in the way we live our lives. Or why do you do that? Why do you spend your money this way? Why do you spend your time this way? So they judge us. And you know it can really be frustrating because it's unfair. But Jesus has given the world the right to judge us on this one. He's given the world permission to judge us on how well do we love. I mean, the world is watching us. And they're just doing what Jesus told them they were allowed to do. To figure out, to discern, how do these people love? This idea of community. You know, it's such a buzzword. Doing life together. But listen, everybody wants it. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants some place where they fit. Everybody wants some place where they belong. Everybody needs that. How do we get it? A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you're to love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. Loving one another. It is mission critical. If we fail at that, everything else comes undone. Jesus, the kind of love that He's talking about is next-gen love. The way He loved us. That's, that's where the bar is set. Then he says it's a game changer. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And I do pray that our unity will be restored. And I firmly believe they'll know we're Christians by our love. They'll know we're Christians by our love. As a church family, as a church community, this morning, if we can help you in any way, there'll be some people in front of the auditorium. Let's stand and sing.